Kelly, I've got a big secret. Oh, yeah? It's big. I mean, B-I-G, big. What is it? I'm going to tell you right now, this moment, not another moment, but this moment, right now. Lonnie, are you stalling? Yeah, I'm waiting for an improbable plot device to distract us so that you can find out my secret later and then slap me. It's a drama thing. Well, that's probably not going to happen, so you can just tell me. What's the big secret? This episode made me really like Doyle. Ow! You're kind of mean, Jones. Welcome to Still Dead. I'm researcher and Southern Fraud scholar, Dr. Kelly Jones. And I'm story expert, Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And we're here today to talk about Angels Season 1, Episodes 9 and 10, Hero and Parting Gifts, both of which are Watchers. Yes, but before we do that, uh, we had a great response from, um, I will remember you, from Noella Croy, my co-host over on Still Pretty, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. And uh, she had such great insights into the colors that Buffy was wearing, the stuff that was going on, and I will remember you. So we want to kind of add that in here, give that a quick listen, and then we'll move into talking about hero and parting gifts. So here is Noelle. Hey everyone, it's Noelle LaCroix, film scholar and co-host of Still Dead's sister podcast, Still Pretty. And I'm here to weigh in on color and Buffy's costuming in I Will Remember You. When Buffy shows up, she's dressed all in black, just like Angel. They're equals here and end up fighting the demon as a team. But Buffy is also guarded when she arrives. She's not telling the whole truth about why she's there. Later in the sewer, she's wearing a white sweater, in part to contrast with Angel in black, but also because now she's being honest. She's being vulnerable. Lonnie is right. Hair up means serious business. But in the sewer, Buffy is serious personal. She's truly herself, so her hair is down. It looks like she also changes from a black skirt into black pants, and that just feels practical for sewer trekking. Buffy's red dress stands out, and I think it's meant to. Red is the color of blood and passion and anger, as Kelly points out. But in this particular episode of Angel, a show where everything is super meaningful, red is connected to both significant events in the narrative and also ideas of knowledge and experience. The first red we see is the demon's forehead gem, which is located where the third eye is often depicted. Depending on your particular religious or mystical leanings, the third eye can represent precognition, clairvoyance, out-of-body experiences, or mental images with deep personal significance. And if demon brains are anything like human brains, that gem might correspond to the prefrontal cortex, which plays a role in both memory and attention tasks. In other words, red is symbolic as fuck. The next red we see is Angel's blood as it mixes with the demon's blood. That really gets the narrative ball rolling. Blood comes up again when human Angel takes Doyle out demon hunting. Angel encounters human blood and feels horrified instead of hungry. And it's a new and upsetting experience. The vase Angel brings to the oracles, because he's experienced and knows a gift is required, is dark red. And if we wanted to get really into it, we could talk about a vase like that holding water, which is a symbol of the unconscious mind, in the same way Angel is about to carry the memory of the day, and you get the idea. Which brings us to Buffy's dress, a signifier of femininity, not made for fighting. It connects Buffy to that ordinary girl space she's wanted to occupy for so long, particularly in her romantic life. 
Buffy and Angel now know what it's like to be together as a human couple, and that's a big deal, especially for Buffy. And the symbol of this experience, the red dress, literally covers her in this scene. This is also where we get the last bit of red in the episode, the second hand on the clock. We see the clock in close-up from Angel's POV. Not only does Angel have to carry the memory of the day, but he also has to watch the seconds tick down. Buffy mentions having felt Angel's heartbeat. That brings us back to blood and serves as a reminder of the essential opposition in Angel and Buffy's relationship. He's a vampire, she's a vampire slayer. But heartbeat is also a way of talking about a unifying force. For example, and I'm quoting Lonnie here, narrative is the psychological heartbeat of humankind. Ironically and tragically, the heartbeat of Buffy and Angel's narrative, the star-crossedness of it, can be summed up by Angel's still unbeating heart. Oh my God. Oh she my is God. so good. She is so fucking brilliant. I know. Holy cow. She is amazing. And I have to tell you, I get that kind of stuff from her on Still Pretty all the time. Still Pretty, which launches on May 31st. So just a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> you I guys mean, can hear it then. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. I know. She is so smart. I, I would know. never see stuff like that. In, That's there's what no I way. love about like, Noelle. She sees God. things I don't see. And her insight is so smart and so fantastic. So thank you so much, Noelle LaCroix. And for anybody who wants more of that kind of thing, definitely, if you're not already, subscribe to Still Pretty, the podcast, because we start with uh, Welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest on Thursday. So yay! Yay! And I got to preview it, and it's fantastic! I know, it's really, (laughs) really fun. I love, you know, that's what I love about these kinds of podcasts, this discussion, you know, with somebody else, is that I'm so often surprised and delighted by the insights, and it just makes my day. So that's fantastic. Thank you again so much, Noelle. And now I guess we're ready to go and talk about hero and parting gifts, so let's raise the stakes! When a dark army of demons hits Los Angeles with the intention of killing every partially human demon, specifically a family of half-human Lister demons, Angel's on the case. Doyle feels this one personally because he's seen the scourge before and failed to save the half-demons who came to him for help. Cordy secures a cargo ship to get the Listers to a sanctuary island in the South Pacific, but a kid named Reef runs off, and Doyle goes to get him back. When the Scourge finds them, Angel distracts the Dark Soldiers and fakes joining their group to allow Doyle and Reef time to escape. Meanwhile, Cordy discovers that Doyle is half-demon, slaps him, and then tells him to ask her out. So, okay. At the Scourge's inspirational TED Talk, Angel discovers the plan. Light up a beacon that will destroy every living creature with human blood within a half-mile radius. He races to the ship to warn the Listers, but he's too late. The Scourge arrive and set up the beacon. As the demonic machine warms up, Angel decides to throw himself on it and unplug it, an act that will definitely kill him. At the last minute, Doyle throws Angel off the platform, kisses Cordy, and makes the sacrifice play, saving everyone except himself. 
Hero aired on November 30th, 1999, and was directed by Tucker Gates and written by Howard Gordon and Tim Minear. This is the first episode written by Gordon, the second by Tim Minear, both of whom will be back to write again for the show. This is the only episode of Angel directed by Tucker Gates. Yeah, so this is kind of a really big episode and a big surprise that came at us um, with Doyle's death. So I wanted to give a little bit of background on Doyle's death and what we know and what we don't know about why this particular narrative choice was made. This is the first of the significant, shocking, and sudden deaths that Whedon would become known for later in his career, leading to the classic joke, Joss Whedon, George R.R. R. Martin, and Stephen Moffat walk into a bar and everyone you love dies. <laughs> Quinn's struggle with drugs was common knowledge at the time, and a lot of people figured that was the reason why he was killed off the show so quickly. There's a quote from an interview Whedon did in 2000 with Buffy the Vampire Slayer magazine that sheds a little light on the reasons behind this decision. What Whedon said was, that was always a plan, and clearly that character didn't mesh. Glenn had a kind of intensity that was kind of like David Boreanaz's, and David already had that. It could have gone a different way, but that was the plan we had, and we decided to execute it. So this wasn't clearly Whedon's plan from the beginning. It was a plan. Since that interview, Whedon has rewritten his own mythology a bit and has since said that he always planned to kill Doyle off, but I have my doubts. Part of the motivation for this reframing might be that Quinn died of a drug overdose in 2002, and reframing the reality of why Doyle died might have been an act of kindness to his memory. So I kind of tend to look at it that way. I think that there were issues that things weren't really working that well um, with Doyle and possibly with Glenn Quinn behind the scenes, but I don't know that. Um, but it's, it's just kind of a, a suspicion that I have. And I think that reframing it while at the same time, it does sort of rewrite Whedon's mythology, which is something that he is very fond of doing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that it's, it's kind of a nice thing to just let it sit there, you know? Yeah. 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 I think so too. Yeah. And it's always a shame to see a talented actor, artist, leave the world so young you know yeah he was like 30 i mean yeah. it's it's really really sad and as much as we didn't like doyle it's really in the writing i like glenn quinn i, I liked him yeah. when he was on roseanne in the 80s you know and uh, and i think that he is a charismatic actor um and i think that he's got a lot of depth and a lot of range but um but i don't know so i don't know it feels a little um just kind of like a, a little sad and it adds sort of a, a element of weight to this episode of hero. You know, if you know the backstory behind it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's move into the moments of perfect happiness, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> what do you got for me, Kelly? So I really got tickled with the opening of Cordy's commercial. Yes. I do with angel is the dark Avenger. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, it just cracks me up. Um, An opening and closing with Doyle's commercial is oh, is just yeah. touching and heartbreaking, and and, yeah. um, and that's going to echo as a third beat later in the series too, and and be really important. You know, mm -hmm. not with any spoilers, but yeah. And I do adore when Doyle says, "Our rats are low, but our standards are high." <laughs> I know. And then Cordelia's like, "Rates," and he's like, "It says rats." You know, 
<laughs> which is really sweet and, and, you know, really charming. And yeah. I, I enjoy that quite a bit as well. Um, so what else you got? You got anything else for um, uh, Moments yeah, of Happiness? I do. I have confessed before to being a shallow, shallow woman. And <laughs> I love watching Angel hit his punching bag. Yeah. And like... Angel doing Tai Chi on Buffy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And <laughs> there's just something about watching that man. Uh, yeah. In that, and it's not just because he's pretty, but like there's a deep meditative state that uh-huh. Angel goes into. And he's, you know, kind of wrestling this on a physical scale. Like he's working out his emotions through physical action. Yeah. And I like watching him in motion. There um, is something really poetic. David yeah. Boreanaz has a really um, kind of intense and quiet physicality. I think that's yes. part of the reason why the Batman stuff works so well for him, even though I'm sure it's a stuntman who's like jumping off of stuff. But, but you know, it, it works with, with that kind of quiet intensity that he has. Yeah. And when you see him express emotion, I think this is why I like it so much when we have him out of context, like when we had him being Herb Saunders earlier, you know, in Sense <laughs> and Sensitivity. And, um, and when he's playing a role, you know, because we see these different sides of him but when we see his emotion get him it's Mm -hmm. because he's not a typically terribly expressive person and that's not to say that he's not a good actor there's a lot of intensity under that sort of repression that he has you know and it works really well um but when you see him express that emotion which he does like in this in this physical when he's doing the tai chi and he's doing those moments those movements so carefully and they're so controlled and it has Mm -hmm. this spiritual element to it you can feel that depth in his character and it happens when you see him hitting the punching bag that he's working out these feelings that he doesn't express he's so controlled in every other circumstance. And that's a really wonderful thing because it speaks to how much control he has to, you know, to basically put over himself all the time to keep Angelus in check. Right. You know, so he is always controlled. He is always, you know, running in this very tight ship, you know, and then when he expresses it, when you see that emotion come out, when he gets angry, this is why I like kick ass, angry angel. Yeah. Can you fly? I love that guy Mm -hmm. Um, because then we get to see that. But it's always there. Like Boreanaz's performance is so deep and so textured and so nuanced and it's really easy to look at him and just see a pretty guy right but he's so much more than that it is and and it's like you said it's it's that because i mean he it it's not just oh look he's got his shirt off and he's punching a punching bag there it's it's the how you know it's it's the feeling underneath that Mm -hmm. and he's also he's in that space alone yeah um you know he's He's saving that for when it's it's private, you know, and he's he's going through that physicality alone because he's working on those emotions alone. Mm-hmm. And it, it just sort of highlights that, you know, the fact that he is alone. I mean, he's got this found family around him, but but what he carries mm-hmm. is, is only his. Yeah. And I just think that he has a way of expressing that, you know, quite beautifully. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that he really does. Um, you know, I love Cordelia in this episode. Of course, I pretty much always love Cordelia. So yeah. she's always kind of a highlight. Uh, but I love this moment with her where she says, you know, he's only happy when he's fighting evil. You yeah. know, <laughs> so we so, need to bring some in. <laughs> exactly. So let's yeah. get us some evil. Let's get us some evil. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. I also like that when Doyle goes down, he tells Doyle what happened. Yeah. You know, he tells Doyle yeah. about the oracles. He tells Doyle about, you know, um, about the decision that he made, you know, to right. uh, to turn this time back. And um, and I like that he shares that with Doyle because he is, you know, he's so pulled back and he doesn't really talk about things, but he needed to talk about that. And I like right. that a lot. I thought that that was really good. Also, I would like to say. This opening music, and this is going to, I'm going to do this every couple of episodes for the entire run. So, you know, get out, get out your bingo cards. Um, it doesn't matter how many times I hear that opening music. I think that the visuals of the opener are truly, truly terrible. The colors oh, yeah. are terrible. The inset blurred box is terrible. It's all mm-hmm. pretty much terrible. The clips that they choose are, are pretty good. The one where, you know, angels busting through the door, like all that stuff is, is pretty good. But like the stylizing of it is visually not not good but if you could just close your eyes during the credits and listen to that cello and listen to that music it is always so evocative and so powerful and i think honestly it is one of the best like title music you know uh pieces that that have ever been on television i think think and and i usually do close my eyes um when it comes on because i can't help it yeah because a cello just speaks directly to my heart and soul and it's there's something about that kind of music Mm -hmm. that has such capacity um and I think about it you know it's been used brilliantly on Angel Mm -hmm. there's also one of my favorite episodes of the West Wing yeah oh yeah Uh, and the the music that can come from a cello is it's just nothing short of magical and it's one of my favorite things about this show because it it sets up the tone, yeah, and and the depth of the show mm-hmm. so beautifully, yeah. You know, no, it's, it really it's, is. It's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I also really liked it that Angel told Doyle what had happened, and I liked Doyle's response. He was like, "Okay, one of us has been drinking, and I'm sad to say it isn't me." Right. <laughs> really kind of charming. It is. It is. It's very sweet. I mean, of course, it like we do play into the whole because there's a very terrible stereotype about Irish people, you know, that they're always getting drunk, which is untrue (laughs) and unfair. Um, So when we pull into that stereotype a little bit with Doyle, it's always like, oh, come on. So he's Irish. We don't need to make him a drunk. You know, we don't need to make him really into the alcohol. Um, But it's it's a sweet moment for Doyle anyway. You know, Mm -hmm. so I like that. Yeah. you know, I love this this moment with Angel. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong in the world fighting. You know, yeah. it's so great. And it's, it, again, states that sense of purpose. And this is one of the things I think I love most about Angel, the character, right? Mm-hmm. Is that his understanding of his purpose, you know, his um, his kind of harmonizing who he is with his purpose He's not at war with his purpose the way that Buffy is. Buffy right. is Buffy is 
stuck with, you know, with being the slayer and she does the job, but she struggles with it in every possible way. And Angel doesn't. He is one with his purpose. You know, he has mm -hmm. accepted this and this is just how it is. And he believes in his purpose. And I love that he has that incredible, incredible sense of clarity. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's really, really good. It is interesting to me though, because I had a more difficult time filling in my moments of perfect happiness mm -hmm. on this episode. And several of the quotes that you have are actually in my stake this section. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's a little, interesting. A little well, interesting. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to kind of play that. I'll, let me go through the rest of mine that are in my moments of perfect happiness. I'm really interested in hearing your kind of opposing views on these. Because um, one of them I have is the one from Doyle. I just don't have that strength. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Angel says, you never know how much strength you have until you're tested. Um, and I think that that's really nice. I also like that we have these because we see, of course, Doyle tested later. That's reflected. We have the, um, you know, is that it? Am I done? You know, oh, from yeah, the video me. at the beginning, and then that comes back at the end. Um, I think it's it's really nice, and and those kinds of beginning and end reflections can work really well in a story because the whole thing is you get the meaning of a story based on what has changed, right? Mm -hmm. And when you have the same element in the beginning and in the end that is is reflected in different ways it means different things because of the events of the story and what has changed so it really kind of puts this nice little narrative bow on our understanding of what has happened in that episode oh god i love that explanation mm -hmm. the meaning yeah. of the story comes from what has changed and i mean and like this is completely geeking out but i can't help it because it lights my brain up mm -hmm. but you know, you look at everything through this narrative lens, and I tend to look at everything from a, you know, learning philosophical lens. And one of the most difficult assignments I ever had to do in mm -hmm. graduate school was to write a definition for the word learning. Yeah. And it took me forever. Mm -hmm. And finally, with like 50,000 citations to back me up, <laughs> I decided that it was a one word definition and learning means change oh so now we have the same idea that meaning in a story comes from change yeah mm -hmm. and I really like the parallel there oh that is really interesting yeah. I like that wow very very cool Okay, well, that was that was really interesting. Okay, I like that. <laughs> totally um, <laughs> no, I love it. I think that that's great. And yeah, I mean, that was one of the things because, uh, you know, I've had to define, I mean, I didn't have to do it for like a, you know, a grad program or anything, but just because of the work that I do, and I work with story, mm -hmm. and I'm a story expert. So the one of the first things I did was, well, what is story? Right. You know, and I had to think about that for a while, you know, and, and the eventual um, definition that I came up with was a uh, story is a series of events with meaning. Right. Mm -hmm. um, because that is how it presents. But what is it that gives it the meaning? Because, right, you, you do one thing and then you're open like you're down this rabbit hole. OK, so I did that. Now, what does meaning mean? Like, what right. is that? You exactly. know, <laughs> and after, you know, all this time of studying story and figuring out how it works, I thought, you know, it is, it's the change. How have things changed? Because if you have a story where nothing has changed, then you don't have meaning from it. 
Right. You know, that's why you have to have, you know, that's why narrative arcs, you know, an arc is going from one place to another, launching from one place, landing at another. We talk about character arcs in which character changes, right? Mm-hmm. And that shows us what that meaning is. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's really interesting that you came yeah. to the same thing, because I think well, that's what everything is about, really. Yeah, and it's really interesting, too, because in my field, we talk about learning arcs. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just really fascinating wow. to see some of the overlap here, because story and learning are so intuitive to human beings. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's just fascinating. So oh, that is really, really cool. I love that. Yeah. So what um, else did you love? I'm oh, sorry. I'm I loved sad. a lot of things. No, that so was, that's, that's interesting. It's really great. That's what this whole conversational stuff is about. Like I said before, it's about that, that kind of surprise and delight. I love that conversation. Um, so I had another thing from Doyle, which I really liked. Um, well, if it's a fight they want, can't someone else give it to them? You know, uh, which was really fun. And this is where I was like, all right, great. Make me love Doyle right before you kill him. Thanks so much. You know, yeah. um, but this is my favorite favorite Doyle, you know, mm-hmm. in all of in all of Angel, him in this episode is is, is very much my favorite. And uh, of course, from Cordelia, whoever you saw just now, did they look like they could afford to pay? You know? <laughs> I, did, I did have one note here when she makes the deal with the ship captain. Yes. Supposed to Angel supposed to forgive his debt in yeah. exchange for his help. But Cordy tells him Angel will forgive half. Right. <laughs> and then when he insists on 60%, she says, you sure do drive a hard bargain. And that's Cordy. I mean, that's, that's I, I just love, love that. I love Cordy. Yeah, she's always working it. You know, she's <laughs> always working it. And she's really, really great. Um, it, we got to this, uh, this prophecy too, in this episode. Um, and I couldn't decide if I wanted to stake it. Or if I liked it, <laughs> it was one of those things. <laughs> but I put it in the thing. The idea of the promised one, like mm-hmm. generally the the idea, like you put a prophecy in a story and then suddenly it's like, well, this is the way these things are supposed to happen. And, and it's supposed to, I don't know, give it some kind of validation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it always feels like a cheap move to me. But I, I liked it here because the prophecy actually is talking about Doyle and not Angel. You know, it is Doyle who saves these people. Um, so I do like that it's it's not what you expect. You know, I mean, prophecies, you know, no big spoilers are going to be a recurrent <laughs> thing throughout Angel. We do a lot with meant to be and fate and destiny. We do a lot of that kind of really deep philosophical work um, in Angel. And uh, and so I, I tend to feel like prophecies sometimes are used as sort of a cheap validation, putting a cheap weight on something, because if you just say something's a prophecy, then suddenly it has all of this weight. Um, but I, I like that it's kind of subverted, that yeah. we're kind of moving to a different, you know, and we're, we're focusing on the hero is not who we expect the hero to be, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I do kind of like that. Um, we have, so you're half demon, that is way down the list, way under short and poor, you know, which I love from, from Cordy, that cracked me up. <laughs> It's in my stake this section. I can see why. I can absolutely see why. And I, I, I'm telling you right now, I don't disagree with you. There are reasons why that's not good. I think part of the reason why I love it, and it comes off of a moment that I totally, totally want to stake, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's something about it that uh, 
that I like, and I think part of it is is uh, Charisma Carpenter's, um, you know, kind of portrayal of Cordy and the way yeah. that she says things. Like, I can forgive some bad stuff from Cordy because of Charisma Carpenter. Yeah, absolutely. That character. <laughs> um, you know, I like that Angel is ready to sacrifice himself without a second moment, without a thought, you know, mm-hmm. at the end. And then Doyle punching Angel knocking him off the platform, kissing Cordy, passing on the visions, showing his demon face, jumping on the beacon, like all of this stuff is, it's this wonderful heroic sequence for Doyle that I really, really liked. Yeah, I really liked that too. So I thought that was real good. All right, so you go ahead, you lead the stake this conversation because I'm really interested to see uh, to see all the things you wanted to stake. Okay, so I kept struggling with this episode. Mm-hmm. like struggling to take notes. Yes. And I finally figured out that while I appreciate what the episode was trying to do, mm-hmm. it just didn't land for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's still a watcher, but just because I think it's, it's a watcher because it's so narratively yeah, significant. It's yeah. Really important. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of story holes here. Yeah. And the story holes were bothering me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll talk about some of that as we go through, but I didn't like Cordelia calling Doyle a weasel. Yeah. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And then when Angel tells Doyle about the oracles and, you know, his reversing time and all of that, he made it sound like he and Buffy reached that decision together. Uh-huh. But yeah. they didn't. That was yeah. his call, not hers. He mm-hmm. made the choice alone and he told Buffy afterwards. Yes. And so I didn't like, you know, he was saying we realized it couldn't be. no. No, we no, didn't. That's not yeah. what happened. Yeah. You know. No, that's true. And actually there is there is a lot of a, there've been some discussions on Twitter and still dead. Uh Noel, our lovely Noel is is filled with rage. Yes, because, she is. <laughs> because Angel made that decision for both of them. And I understand, I completely understand where she's coming from. And it's not that I disagree. Mm-hmm. But maybe I disagree a little bit. And here's why. <laughs> because Angel was making a choice that was necessary for himself. You and know, I agree and, with that. Yeah. yeah. And I it just, has like, he chose not to be human anymore. Like right. there wasn't time to conference Buffy in, right. you know, there wasn't time to, um, you know, to figure all of this out. He was, he was given a moment and he had to make a call. And I think that sometimes there are decisions that we have to make on our own that do deeply affect other people, mm-hmm. you know, at, but when it's your body, to which yeah. I think, like, in an ideal situation, like, there needs to be, there should be conversations, there should be, but not all situations are ideal, and not all situations, and when it comes right down to it, this was Angel's existence, right? you know, and he wanted to turn it back. Now, if his sole motivation for the decision was to save Buffy from these dark soldiers or whatever that they had predicted, which... Uh, you could say we're the dark soldiers that we deal with this week, but we, other than that, we never really see that come to fruition anyway. There are also dark soldiers this season over in Sunnydale uh, with the initiative. So there's that as well, um, which she handles fine on her own. Um, But I, I think that it was, it was his existence, you know, it was, it was his choice and yeah, he made that choice for both of them and it wasn't fair but I think that it's a circumstance where I, I don't feel like he was like, I'm making my manly decision without you. I feel like if yeah. he had time to talk it over with Buffy, if that was an option for him, then he probably would have done that. Yeah, I think so, too. My And I think it was his choice to make yeah. and, and his right because it was his existence. Mm-hmm. What this show does 
and it, and it's interesting in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because it adds complexity to that yeah. and it yeah. adds a lot of moral in- ambiguity to that mm-hmm. because that decision carries with it the altering of someone else's memory. Yeah, which is a really terrible thing. Right. You know? And so um, like yeah. that is problematic. And so yeah. like trying to figure out that space when he's making a decision that actually affects her memory is different. Right. I do still think it was his call to make. I just was bothered by him making it sound like they had made the decision yeah. together. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because the thing is that like, I think it is his call to make, but I think it's also that makes it his responsibility to bear the responsibility of that decision. Right. You know, absolutely. to hold that and say, I had to make a call, you know, yeah. and, and the thing is, is that the the reason why the fact that it alters her memory is, I mean, that's obviously a big problem for me. Anybody who's heard me talk about Buffy season six knows that that's a big issue, um, that that's not not okay. But he's not choosing to alter her memory. He's choosing to, to, like, return to the existence that he was having before. Right. You know, um, and a consequence of that is that it alters her memory. Right. You know, it's just it's just one of these things. And it's one of the things that the show does well. Yeah. Because we're going to see this in a different context later. And it's just a question to hold on to. Yeah. You know, as you continue watching at what point does being a champion give you the right to make decisions for other people's minds and memories? Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that, but it's just something that, it's it's something the show raises and I think that they do it well yeah. because it's not easy to answer. No, it's it's really not. It's not an easy or simple decision, you know, mm-hmm. and he made the decision that he had to. And if he could have made that decision without altering her memory, right? you know, it's if you're deliberately altering somebody's memory so that you don't have to deal with consequence, you know, for like, like things like that, you know, I mean, that's obviously completely the wrong thing. If, if along with a decision that, that you feel is right for your existence, your, his body, his physicality, his existence, his purpose, you know, this was the decision that he had a snap second to make. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was that was all he could do. And right. I think that sometimes you make decisions like that. You just have to live with them, oh, you know, yeah. and it doesn't mean that everything about that decision is right. It doesn't mean that he's not also responsible for wiping Buffy's memory, which is a very bad thing, right. you know, um, and I think that he I think that he would understand that, too. But but you're right by putting it on both of them as if it was a joint decision, which it was not, he is skirting that part of his responsibility. Exactly. And yeah. that was what bothered me about it. Yeah. I, I do really appreciate the way that the show handles difficult choices. You know, yes. there are consequences and there are things that affect other people mm-hmm. and it's not neat and tidy and done and it doesn't go away. Yeah. You know, things things build and they deepen and we see that throughout mm-hmm. you know the show and I just really appreciate it because if it can make me pause and wonder what are all of the implications of this yeah um, then I think it's a really interesting way to I mean it can help you examine your own values and your thought processes mm-hmm. and those things and I think that the show does that really really well yeah the show makes you uncomfortable 
really yes. nicely. Exactly. Because <laughs> I think that it's important <laughs> to ask like those uncomfortable things and to not mm-hmm. say that, you know, that this is necessarily the 100% right decision, but it was right. the right decision for Angel to make in the time that right. he was given to make it. It was the only one he could make and he right. did it, right. you know, and he has to carry the consequence of that. Right. Because truly complex and difficult decisions don't ever have one clear, easy answer. That's very true. It's you know? very true. So, yeah. So the, the episode does a good job with some of that. And then it does a really terrible job with some of the story. <laughs> yes. No, it does. <laughs> All right. So what else do you have? So the scourge. Yeah. Like it, there's, it, there's so much here. Like yeah. it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a note here that I want you to say, and then I'm going to build on that. Okay. Which which one? Because I got a lot about the scourge. The first one. Oh, yeah. These these marching Uh dark demons, soldiers in the streets of Los Angeles, and nobody notices this. I mean, we've had it canonically said, you know, very early in Buffy that people see things they don't understand, and they either rationalize them or they just forget them. You know, um, and and there's something to that. But this is kind of like this is an army of demon soldiers, you know, uh, yeah. goose stepping throughout Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, like, and you their notice boots, that kind of thing. Yeah, their boots are hella loud. Right. Mm-hmm. And they have torches. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're smashing cars and windows and setting buildings on fire. And I know. Like, come on. Somebody People are going to notice that. The police and, are going to come. Right. Like, yeah. And especially because demons are something that are, you know, kind of, I think, you know, supposed to be secret. Like most people don't know about this. Most mm-hmm. people don't know that these things are happening. But Angel does. And he's there to defend people against the darkness, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Right. But yeah, the uh, the scourge are a problem in like a lot of a lot of yeah. different ways. And, and it. There was, there's a temporal problem with that too, mm-hmm. because we get their, you know, they're dedicated to their mission. They're fanatics, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. We don't know how long they've been around. Right. We don't know if they have other hobbies or if it's just the destruction <laughs> like, of half demons. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, somebody's making those boots. Like, come on. That's true. Yeah. And like, so I was thinking if they had done this well, mm-hmm. first of all, we would have already heard of them. Yes. Right. Because mm-hmm. this should be a big bad, not a monster of the wink. Yes. And Angel would know what they were. Mm-hmm. Like, he's been around a long time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you could have the idea that this is, they've always been around. This has always been their mission. They've always targeted, you know, they've had this racist perspective. Mm-hmm. The Nazis were actually inspired by the scourge. Mm-hmm. And then some of that symbolism that they tried to make land sure. could have landed. You could put that in the yeah, because the Nazi coding here, right, is is a thing. Like it's a bit, I think, too heavy for this show to carry. And you're yeah. absolutely right. A, a a bad guy like this is not something you just dispatch of in you know an episode like this is a season-long big bad like these are serious serious people and the fact that they're not really you know they're not really gotten rid of yeah you know they're still out there yeah there's literally some of them at the back door yeah did they just get bored and go home i guess so 
they're standing out there looking at their watch going well it's been an hour pancakes pancakes right like i guess so let's let's go to ihop which is what we always do after a a mass genocide right exactly so but it's just like the the nazis are um a symbol that that carries tremendous tremendous weight you know Mm -hmm. and one of the things that we often do and and you know i've talked about this over on uh listen up a-holes the marvel cinematic universe podcast that i co-host with joshua unruh superhero scholar Mm -hmm. um and uh, and over there, we talked about this with Captain America a little bit, because one of the things they did was that they they kind of transferred all the Nazi coding and imagery to a bad guy who was not killing Jewish people, you mm-hmm. know, who was not, it was doing other bad things, but he wasn't doing that, you know. And in that way, we could focus on this, this coded bad guy, you know, who is like all, has all of the Nazi badness associated with him. But then we don't have to talk about what the Nazis actually did. And we sort of erase that experience. And when you're telling a World War II story, you have, I think, a responsibility to acknowledge that there is a genocide going on, that there are people, you know, by the millions who are being killed. And when you erase that that reality from a story that you're telling, um, especially one that takes place in you know, in, in the forties, at least angel is, you know, modern day, but even so we're, we're borrowing all of this, the goose stepping and the, the suits and the everything, like everything is, is Nazi imagery, Nazi language, like everything is. And when you, when you borrow that without acknowledging everything, and and here we are, you know, we are acknowledging genocide, Mm -hmm. you know, but Nazis specifically are so heavily associated with anti-Semitism. And I think that there's just something about it that I don't feel comfortable using as just a code for bad guys. Right. You know, just a, just we're just going to use it as a code for bad guys, but we're not going to talk about what these guys did. Yes. Um, I think that when you talk about Nazis, when you borrow that imagery, when you borrow that coding, that um, that it carries you're when you erase the anti-Semitism from that, you're erasing that very real experience. Um, and and I just I, I it feels wrong to me. You yeah. know, I think that you could you could code these demons in a million other ways to make them just as bad, you know, without going full Nazi. Yep, I thought so, too. It really bothered yeah. me. Yeah. And, and And there's so much that was not clear. Mm-hmm. You know, about them and about their purpose. And when Angel asked Doyle, you know, the scourge, what are they? And Doyle mm-hmm. said, death. And yeah. I'm like, Doyle, damn it, define your terms. <laughs> like, we're going to need a little more to go on here, buddy. Come right. on. Like, what? And how does Angel not know about these things? Exactly. Like, Angel would freaking know about them. There would be yeah. dead. Especially because vampires are half human. Exactly. So they like, would be coming it, after vampires. Yeah. This scourge would be in the, you know, vampire fairy tale book that you yeah. read to scare the little vampires and make them eat their vegetables. Like, it's ridiculous. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. who it is. And then, mm-hmm. like, the the beacon, you know, thing. All right. First yeah. of all, I really hope Angel went back and destroyed that thing. 
because uh, yeah, I, I, like we don't know. You got to take it apart in pieces. Like, whatever it is that's fueling this thing, right? you I know. Mean, I mean, I hope we buried them all in separate boxes because you know, damn, right? Like the judge, <laughs> you know. But we did that at least with the, the or with the guy who was taking himself apart. Yeah, you know? I mean, something. the least we could do for the beacon, and it, and it yeah. kind of looks like a giant tacky Christmas ornament, but. Obviously, yeah. it's mystical in origin. And since when does magic need electricity to function in the first place? Like, yeah, no, that's weird. What the hell? We could take that's over weird. the world if only we had enough power. I mean, come if on. If only we had a battery, <laughs> really? we could just exactly. hook this up to. I mean, exactly. Can we get AAA to jumpstart this thing? Is that a thing we can do? Um, yeah, and it is. And this is the thing: is that at the end of this. The the scourge is still out there. Mm -hmm. They're still doing their thing. Right. If they built one beacon, they can build another. Exactly. Like, you know, I mean, I just like the fact that we let this go, that this doesn't, you know, we're just like, oh, well, we're done. I mean, I'm glad that we saved, you know, the family of Lister demons. Yeah. We got them on the cargo ship. But but at the same time, it's like, okay, there's there's work to be done here. And we never talk about them again. Right. And and. It, it just, it was so ridiculous. Like, if you're going to introduce a threat that is that big and yeah. that evil, then you have to address it, you know, properly. Yeah. And and so I just thought it was ridiculous. And then you have the whole thing about them targeting half demons and yeah. the way that that was represented. Well, we know that some pure demons are also good. So right. why are we only saving the ones that are, ha I mean, vampires are half human and they're evil as hell. So yeah. like humanness does not necessarily make you good or evil. Right. And so like, why, right. why are they tart? Like, why isn't the scourge also killing all the humans? And why doesn't Cordy already know that not all demons are evil? Because come on, Cordy, she knows that. Right. That, right. that whole thing was just, it, it was like a half baked story. And uh -huh. it just kept throwing me out. There were, there were just too many right. story holes. Well, I mean, because we, we have that moment, right, with Cordy, where she's like, hey, Doyle, you did notice that these folks are demons. Yeah, that's great. Last week, you were hanging out with his, um, you know, ex-wife and a family right. of demons, you know. And it was cool because you know that not all demons are bad. And then his defense of that is they're half human. Right. So if they weren't half human, we wouldn't be saving them. Exactly. Is that it? You know, like they're they're good. That's the answer. Right. They're not dangerous. They're not hurting anybody. You know, they're just trying to live their lives and we're going to protect them. But instead, our defense is they're half human. But again, it's not about human and not. It's about good and bad. Exactly. You know, it's about good and evil. So, um, so yeah, I thought that that was, um, you know, was not, it's, it's not a fully baked idea. Right. And, and the ship, um, the shipmate, uh, the guy that turned on them, he was human, you know, yeah. and he went and turned them in. And then... When they're doing their little Nazi parade, you know, yeah. they turn on the beacon and it, uh -huh. it evaporates the human. But right. Angel, who's standing like right beside him, yeah. is fine. Is fine. Well, I guess they did it at a lower dosage. And since it takes the half, I don't, I, I don't even know what that know. is. And Angel, Angel getting in the Nazi regalia. Yeah. And, you know, and then like he's with them. He's wearing the Nazi outfit. But when he comes in to save the Lister demons he's in his regular clothes yeah, so, again. Like, <laughs> like, I'm glad you stopped to change. Well, so like, our, I'm, our friend yeah. Brianna was here at my house while I was watching these episodes. <laughs> Hi, Brianna. And which, yeah. when he pulled up in the motorcycle, she's like, Angel was in a really big hurry. He stopped to change clothes. 
<laughs> yes. like, but his hair, yes. like, it's still it's still combed it's down still, in the Nazi style. Yeah, come on, yeah, really. Yeah. So he didn't redo his hair. I'm headcanoning right. that he had his clothes on under the uniform, and he just stripped. And the they, uniform it was a Velcro off. strip away. Yes, it was exactly. like a Velcro strippers uniform. While he was that driving makes the motorcycle. I love it. I love it. I think that that's a good headcanon. And in something like this that is not fully baked at all, I will accept it. Um, one of the things that I both hated and kind of loved, but it requires like an external reference, uh-huh. is the main Nazi guy when he's given a speech. Uh-huh. Uh, reminded me a lot of Dwight from The Office when Jim convinces him to speak like Mussolini. If you guys have ever seen, it's an episode called Dwight's Speech. I have not seen it. Um, from The Office. But there's a, well, you know, there's this guy in The Office who is, you know, Dwight and he's kind of annoying. And then uh, Jim, who is the prankster character, uh, tells him that, um, you know, that the great speeches are, are always told by these, you know, these guys and whatever. And he gave him parts of speeches from like famous dictators throughout history. Oh. And like, <laughs> so when Dwight's doing that is exactly the same shtick that the guy who's doing the thing. And I realize they're pulling from uh, from the same source material. <laughs> But because of that context, it made me right. laugh. It really did. Yeah, and that was also confusing, though, because head scourge guy is like, why do we f- fight these half-breeds? Because the higher order demands it. And I'm going, wait a minute. Uh-huh. I thought the higher order in this world was the senior partners. Right. And it was just like, What? Yeah. I know. No, the whole thing, none of it, none of it makes any sense. I also was like, what the hell with Angel when he's threatening the guy to get the oh, cargo ship yeah. because his brother owes him money right. or something like that. I mean, it was this whole thing. And I'm like, Angel, you know, why are you in there acting like this guy is a bad guy? This guy is not a bad right. guy. He's just doing his yeah. job. You know, I put yeah. in my notes, I drew little fangs and I wrote, since yeah. when does Angel threaten to eat people? Like, right. <laughs> that's not right. okay. That's not what he no. does. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I, and I don't understand why we had to have him, you know, being the tough guy threatening this guy. It just makes him look like a big bully. Um, and the other thing, too, that I hated was when Cordy slaps oh, yeah. Doyle, you know, because this is a thing, I swear to God, it makes me crazy. Um, Cordy slaps Doyle. A woman slaps a man, and it's fine. It's cute. No. You know, it's mm-hmm. funny. It's not. No nope. funny. You cannot just slap people. It's not okay. Like it would not be okay if a man hit a woman and it's not okay for a woman to hit a man. I'm sorry. Just because she's a woman does not mean it's okay to be physically yep. violent. Yeah. You know, and we do this all the time in our media. We have women slapping men all the time. And I hate, and, I, I hate yeah. women slapping a man because he lied to her or she's mad at him or whatever. Because mm-hmm. first of all, it makes her look so dainty and weak that slapping him's not going to hurt anyway. So it's like the act of a child throwing a tantrum. It's completely right, disrespectful. Right. Um, and I am the kind of woman who's going to punch, not slap. <laughs> so like, it pisses me off. But but we don't hit people. We fight with no. our words unless mm-hmm. we're fighting the forces of darkness. Unless you're fighting somebody who is coming yeah. at you with like, you know, I mean, if you're in a circumstance where somebody's coming at you physically and attacking you physically, then you that's defend right. yourself. And, and that's in the okay. words of Captain right? Mal Reynolds, if someone tries yes. to kill you, you kill them right back. But you exactly. don't just slap people because you're mad. 
No, and we have women doing this yeah. all the time, and it is, it is not, not okay. okay. Um, it is it is absolutely not okay. So I absolutely I hate that moment, um, and I th- I also think it is beneath mm-hmm. Cordy. I don't think Cordy needs to slap anyone. No, she doesn't. You know, Cordy knows how to use her words. Definitely. Definitely. Um, But then, you know, of course, she returns on it with, why did you think I'd care about you being a half demon? Uh, Well, uh, I don't know, because of how you just thought all the other half demons were bad or maybe how you just slapped him for not telling you. I mean, all of it is just like there are a million reasons why he didn't tell you. And you know what? Also, not really your business, Cordy. He doesn't have to tell you that. He can tell you that when he chooses to tell you that. It's like if somebody comes up to you and says, I'm gay. And you're like, smack, <laughs> why didn't you tell me? Because yeah. it's none your damn business is yeah. why, you know? And I mean, it's it's, it's not. not the correct response. When anyone shares something intimate about themselves. Right. Like, and even if right. they're, you know, saying, oh, I lied to you or whatever. Like, no. He didn't lie. He withheld right. a personal private detail. He no. never he never no. went up to Cordy and said, Hey Cordy, you know what? I'm definitely not half demon. Not half demon. I'm really not. Exactly. Like, I mean, come on. I'm super not. I'm super not right. half demon. No. But, he, yeah. but it's you it's you so much like that, you know, in media. And yeah. it just always, always pisses me off. No, and it sends this message too that it's okay for women to hit men, which right. it is not. It's not. It's not okay you for know? anybody to hit anybody yeah. unless you're fighting the forces of darkness. Unless you're yes. defending yourself, exactly. right? You know, unless there's something you know, like that you have to do. But, um, but yeah, I really, I don't care yeah. for that at all, and it really, really bugs me. And Cordy's like the rest of her speech to Doyle when she's like, "So you're half yes. demon? So what? That's way under the list, under short." And poor, and I was like, "All right, Courtney, I love you, but this is not okay." Like, height right. is physiological, and socioeconomic status is situational, and neither one mm-hmm. should affect the way you feel about a person. They're not character right. traits; They're not yes. people showing you who they are based on the decisions they make. Mm-hmm. Like, that is not right. okay. And I love Courtney, but super shallow Courtney gets on my nerves. Yeah, when we play her that way, I mean, I really I completely agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. I think for me, what I loved about it was her delivery. But you're right. You're absolutely right. That's when she said, why would you think I'd care? I work for a vampire. It was Uh almost like she was realizing that when she said, yeah, and if it had Mm -hmm. stopped there, it would have been fine. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. I now realize I'm cool with this. But we've heard her tell him many times how gross she thinks demons are. It wasn't just this yeah so like oh yeah you know anyway it just bugged me he has and it's also a private personal detail like i could see when he comes in her being a little hurt and saying i'm really you know or or even saying to him like having a realization and saying like you know they told me that you're half demon and i just want you to know i'm so sorry if i made you feel like i wouldn't accept that you know or if you felt like you couldn't tell me and i get her hurt like they had agreed they shouldn't keep secrets and but angel knew doy was half demon and they, these other people knew mm-hmm. and she didn't know so i can understand her being hurt about that but it's still his choice to tell her but it's yeah. still his like, choice to tell right. her yeah and i could like i i would have appreciated much more from cordy her being upset that she made him feel like he couldn't tell her. yes like that being something where she's like she needs to apologize right. to him you know, and I'm so sorry I made you feel that way. I would have loved that yeah. scene. Yeah, and if them. she said, "I'm sorry you felt like you couldn't tell me," now will you ask me to dinner already? 
Like that would have been right. That would totally, totally have worked and been lovely. And, but this and played for laughs, right? Exactly. You know, and it's just, it's not, it's not good. So I don't know. Do you have anything else in your, uh, in your stake? I, I don't. So I thought I had put some of my opposition to your quotes in stake this, but I actually put them in research mode. Oh, so let's move on to research mode and see what we got. Mm -hmm. So I had, I heard these things and I had to hit pause Yeah, because I was like, "Uh, I don't, that bothers me. Why does it bother me? And then I had to ask questions. Mm -hmm. So when Angel tells Doyle about the oracles and what happened with Buffy, Mm -hmm. Doyle says, You had the one thing you ever wanted in your whole unnaturally long life, and you gave it back? Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds good and romantic and heroic. Yeah. But Buffy isn't the only thing that Angel has ever wanted. Mm -hmm. His calling, his purpose, his need for forgiveness, I will say other things that we'll see in the future, Mm -hmm. do seem more important to him than his love for Buffy. Yeah. And he loves her, but I think the... The scale of that between the two of them in comparison to that love and purpose are different. Yeah. And part of that may be because he's so much older than her. Yeah. And he has, you know, completely integrated that purpose with who he is. Yeah. But Buffy's not the only thing that he's ever wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I just was wondering, am I the only one who sees it that way? I, no, it, I think that, I that just, makes sense. I think I think for me, like when Doyle said that, it was it was about that essential war within Angel, like that essential, mm-hmm. like there's the one thing in his life that ever made him happy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it wasn't the sex with Buffy right. that made him happy. It was the connection with Buffy that made him happy, which they had expressed physically completely. And then that solo soul, which of course. And then is there was peanut thing. butter. And then there was peanut butter, right. <laughs> um, and so he was happy. You know, it was the one thing that would ever make him happy. And I think that his sense of purpose isn't necessarily about want. It's about who he is and anything Mm -hmm. that could, that conflicts with who he is. It doesn't matter whether he wants it or not. He knows this is who he is. This is, he has to be this person. And there are a lot of people break up for those reasons. You know, it's not that they don't love each other. It's that who you are and who I am just isn't going to work, you know, and you can't, not be who you are. And actually you're wording it better than I am Mm -hmm. because I think that authentic drive to be who you really are is greater for him than his love for Buffy. And I'm not criticizing that. Yeah. But I I think think it's greater. I think they're just two different things that are essentially incompatible. And since he can't separate from himself and his genuine, you know, his genuine authenticity of, of who he is and why he's here, He can't have Buffy. So it's not right. like it's not like he's making a choice between two things he wants. There is no choice. They're incompatible. And yeah, I guess I just see it as I mean, you you do make a choice to mm-hmm. walk in your authenticity. No, it's not you do. an easy choice. You do, but, but he, I think yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has made that choice with the sacrifice required. But there was just something about that. And I still have to think about it for a while. It's nuanced and Mm -hmm. I appreciate the nuance. Yeah. But I don't think it's just this simple. I don't think it's it's anywhere near as simple as Doyle presents it. Yeah. And and so I guess that's why I kind of put it in research mode. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, Doyle's like, I I could never do that. I I don't have the strength. And Angel says, you never know your strength unless you're tested. Mm -hmm. And then I had to pause and rant. Yeah. (laughs) Because (laughs) I hate I hate with a passion 
the idea of being tested by a superpower. Right. Mm -hmm. I hate it. I I don't like it. All right. No, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I think it's more about you never know your strength until you're faced with an impossible decision. Yeah, or with no a hard choice. I'm but I'm it, with you. I read te- I retested as faced with that hard choice. Okay. So that's why I really liked that. But you know, yeah. you're absolutely right. The word is important. The meaning of the word is important and the idea that that this is, you know, you're being quizzed and if you yes. don't answer right, then somehow you're failing. Right. You know, as yeah. opposed to when you have to make a hard choice, then you learn. Right. And we're we're going to see this idea. I mean, this is another nuanced idea Mm -hmm. of being tested. Um, And and I don't like human lives and human choices being pawns in some kind of greater scheme without full knowledge on both sides. Right. Like Mm -hmm. if I tell you, okay, Mm -hmm. Lonnie, you're going to have a choice to save the world or to save these people. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to choose between this or that. Mm -hmm. Like, in the Matrix, even, they get this right. Neo, mm-hmm. in one hand, you will hold your own life. In the other, yeah. you will have the life of Morpheus. Dude knows he's got to make a choice before he goes in the building. Before he goes in, like, sure. You know? but, but this idea of I'm going to test you without telling you that I'm testing you uh-huh. is, right. is sneaky. And, well, and, yeah. and, and it undermines intention. And I just... Don't well, you like must have it. really hated the Buffy episode Helpless then. Oh, my God. So much. <laughs> so yeah. much. Yeah. It's that, not okay. I don't even I, t- take okay. away agency and knowledge. Oh, yeah. hell no. Oh, hell, hell no. <laughs> hell no. No. Oh, God. It offends All me right. as a woman, as a philosopher, and as mm-hmm. a teacher. Yeah, no, I can definitely, I can definitely understand that. So then my other big unanswered question Mm -hmm. is, we still don't know why Doyle became the vision bearer for the problems, Mm -hmm. uh, for the powers Mm -hmm. that be. So they sent him his first vision after the Brocken demon family was already dead. Yeah. There was nothing he could do at that point. Right. So he could have tried to help them before when Kirk, you know, we, we got to give a shout out to oh, Kirk yes. from the Gilmore Girls. Gil- Kirk from the Gilmore Girls was Kirk. the uh, the Bracken yeah. demon that came to talk to Doyle. He came to talk to him because Doyle was also, you know, half Bracken demon. Doyle right. was not a hero. Doyle was not in possession of great resources that could hide an entire family. Right. And, and yes, he didn't make the hard choice right then. But he uh-huh. also didn't know that he was this super vision bearer person who could actually make a difference. He didn't have right. that knowledge. And then they sent him the vision after everybody was already dead. Right. And there like, was nothing he could have there done. There was nothing he could have done. And then we still don't know why they chose him to carry the visions in the first place. And it did. if he yeah. had gotten the vision, <laughs> chosen to ignore it, mm-hmm. everybody died. Then he went and found out, oh, holy shit, I had yeah. the chance. I didn't do it. Then him being on a path for atonement would have made sense. Right. Because we keep talking about his path for atonement. And then I'm like, okay, so this was it. Right. Like, this is what he's atoning for. But like, who is he? Like, somebody came to him and said, I need you to help me do something that I can't do. What in the world makes Doyle more powerful than Kirk? Like, I I guess he knew people. And so Kirk was like, well, maybe you can, you know, make some phone calls or whatever. Because he does have a, a, you know. Yeah. but, group of friends that he turns to for stuff. But uh, to to make it suddenly his responsibility and his fault that this happened, 
you know, right. it feels a little bit much. It does. It just, it, it just makes no sense. And then yeah. um, we already talked about the fact that they left the evil light beacon of human yes. death just mm-hmm. hanging up like a disco right. ball light. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping Angel went back and destroyed the damn thing. And um, it's my headcanon that he did. Yeah. And then tracked down the dude that has the blueprint and destroyed that too. Yeah. Like, or it know. did something to stop the Scourge because the Scourge, you know, canonically still out there. Right. Just killing people. But because they're not killing people in Angel's neighborhood, we don't care. Right. And and mm-hmm. does Angel, does a vampire have human blood? Mm-hmm. Like, would that yeah. light have killed him? Yeah. And well, he's half, I mean, he's, he's half, partially human. Right? He's possessed but by the demon. Does that but, Yeah. As human blood? I don't know. Well, that's interesting because um, his physiology is human most of the time, right. except when he turns into into demon. And what part of it, like his, what part of the vampire is demon? Yes. Because the soul is removed. Right. Right? Um, so this this idea of a conscience that, that tells you the difference between right and wrong, although we do see that there are people with souls who also have no sense of right and wrong. Yes. Well, and... It's it's an interesting question to separate the spiritual from the physiological, right? Yeah. Because I was watching an episode of Supernatural <laughs> the other <laughs> night, and there's this character who's had his soul taken, and he's still trying to be good. And mm-hmm. so he said, when I come to a crossroads, I ask myself, what would Mr. Rogers do? And as soon <laughs> as I figure that out, I'm usually okay. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? That is freaking awesome. I love it. Right. Mr. Rogers right. is a metaphor for the human soul. And yes, but, absolutely. But on mm-hmm. the physiological side, we know their face changes. We know yeah. so the muscles and shape of their face have to change. Their teeth yeah. change. Their mm-hmm. strength and, you know, that they become stronger and faster. You know, mm-hmm. so that's a change. Their digestive system obviously changes. Their yes. metabolism has to change. And it's presented in canon that they're now, they don't reproduce, so their reproductive yes. system has to change. Right. So mm-hmm. How it is, like, can we run a DNA test here to see, yeah. like, what percentage of that blood is still human and what percentage of it is, is demonic? And then, so the demonic also has a physical presence and not just mm-hmm. a spiritual yeah. presence. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Yeah, no, that is. It is really interesting. So those are my research. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mine are nowhere near as interesting as yours, but I'm going to add them anyway. Um, so the first one, of course, was when uh, you know Cordelia was doing the thing, and she's like, "Well, you know, we get you tied to the cape." And so I was like, "Aha, aha! Is that all it would take to take him from mystery man to superhero?" And I can hear Unruh yelling at me, but I, I actually can't. Uh, but I'm sure he yes. is where he's listening I, to this. I made a note in my notes when she said that. I need I uh-huh. need Angel in tights and a cape, and I was like, Unruh, what does it mean Unruh. if Angel's in a costume? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're going to definitely have that argument. I'm very, very much looking forward to having oh, that yeah. discussion, the, the superhero versus mystery man um, discussion when we get to that at the end of the season. Um, and also, we have Doyle's speech to Reef, right, when he's trying to talk the kid into coming back, right? 
Yeah. And he says, they put their faith in something. You don't have to if you don't want to. Maybe Angel doesn't know what he's doing. It's possible. But the other option, losing yourself somewhere, hoping it all goes away. I know that never works. Mm -hmm. So he's giving him this big speech. And we come into this idea of faith versus reality, optimism versus pessimism, and that heroism is on the side of optimism. Mm -hmm. And we had Angel, you know, earlier in the season talking about, you know, talking to a victim and saying, you just got to have faith. Yep. Right. And so we're in this kind of area of, you know, we skirt into this area of, um, of kind of like theological philosophy. You know, which uh, somebody on on Twitter called us out as knowing absolutely nothing about that, which I will cop to. It's it's not my it's not my thing. Like I don't know anything about it. So um, so what I'm really hoping is that I can get the prophecy guys. Mm, Excellent (laughs) idea. Do theological analysis of Buffy to like take a look at Angel for me and tell me what they think. So I'm kind of hoping to talk them into that. Yeah. Uh, Because they have a a background that I don't I don't have. But there we do kind of revisit this idea. I mean part of this is you know prophecies and destiny and fate and we we play with these ideas very strongly in angel and it's interesting because over in buffy and i, I we talk about this a lot over in still pretty um about how there's all this religious iconography mm-hmm. but we deal with it in a very secular way we don't touch you know religion right except in a very, you know, very couple of, of spaces and, and lightly and in no way thoroughly, you right. know. Um, but it is really kind of an interesting question about the role of um, of faith, of fate, of destiny, of belief in a higher being. Like the powers that be and the senior partners are essentially stand-ins, kind of. And of course, everybody out there who knows more about this than me, which is everybody out there. Um, I mean, that's kind of a stand-in for like God and Satan. Right. Well, out there controlling everything, pulling yeah, the strings, making stuff happen. I it's, do. it's the higher powers of good and bad. I think it's more nuanced than that, even. Mm-hmm. I think that the senior partners are definitely the powers for evil. I think mm-hmm. the powers for good are more ambiguous on this show, and I think that that's done intentionally. Yeah. But yeah, my perspective on this is I don't have theological expertise Mm -hmm. but as a reader of the show i should not need that in order to see what the show is saying about the role of faith and spirituality and higher power because the show Mm -hmm. is building the argument and then it's up to me as the reader to decide how that fits you know story and with me and what we get here and i think one of the reasons that i like it so much is we don't get answers we get questions They're not Mm -hmm. saying this is how good works and this is how evil works. They're raising Mm -hmm. questions about how good and evil and faith and destiny and belief work and the role play in our lives. And they don't answer those questions. So it's not neat and tidy. You can't pull a clean structured philosophy from angel, but you can go to it and ask philosophical questions. And I deeply appreciate that as a, you know, as a mechanism for, for making people think it is, it is not a framework for answers. It is a framework for questions. Oh, I love that. I think that's what I like about Me too. Angel. You know, but it is, it is really about posing these questions, difficult questions, which are really difficult. They to are. Answer. And it's funny, um, we'll get to this not too terribly long from now, but one of my all time mm-hmm. favorite lines in this show is, is directly a religious reference 
um, which is baffling if you know me at all. And, um, but, <laughs> but it's, it's because of how it is presented and the meaning behind it. And so like mm-hmm. I can engage with some ideas through the show that I would not normally think about. And I really appreciate that it mm-hmm. makes me think about those things. And I appreciate that it does not try to answer them for me. Right. Mm-hmm. It gives us a very messy kind of tableau to work with. Exactly. And I like messy. Yeah. And anytime mm-hmm. we get the chance to talk to the Prophecy guys, though, I am all for it. Oh, my God. I will totally talk to them and see if we can get them on the show because I would love if they can watch Angel and discuss this with us. I would love to hear their thoughts on it. Because again, like, I find these interesting questions, you mm-hmm. know, I don't know, and I don't have a ready answer for it. Um, but, uh, but I definitely find it really interesting. Yeah. So we had a lot of meat to chew on in this episode. What is our one to brood on for Hero? Okay, well, Hero comes on the heels of I Will Remember You and is a huge moment because Doyle dies and because he kisses Cordy, which is passing on the visions to her, as we will discover very soon. Um, The quality of the episode is seriously a mixed bag. There are some great moments, you know, wrapped around an awkward and unfocused story structure and some highly questionable elements. Overall, though, I think the high parts are pretty damn high and it is definitely worth the watching. So that moves us into parting gifts. While grieving for Doyle, Cordelia discovers that his parting kiss included the surprise transfer of his visions. After the first painful vision hits her during a commercial audition, Cordy is determined to pass them along by kissing everyone who crosses her path, including Angel, their new client, an empath demon named Barney, and the motorcycle-driving rogue demon hunter who's hot on Barney's heels. In a series of well-constructed turns, the rogue demon hunter turns out to be Wesley. The demon he was chasing turns out to be a good guy who was actually hunting Barney. Barney turns out to be an evil power collector and a damn good actor. And Cordelia ends up on Barney's auction block with her seer eyes sold to Wolfram and Hart who want her eyes extracted after purchase. Angel and Wesley, who both work alone, damn it, team up to save Cordy, and we close with a new dynamic for season one. Cordy is now Angel's connection to the powers that be, and Wesley finds a place on the team. And we learn that Cordy is a great auctioneer, Angel is a great cook, and Wesley just might be a great kisser after all. Because apparently, rogue demon hunters pick up some pretty useful skills on the road. All right, Parting Gifts aired on December 14th, 1999. It was directed by James A. Contner and written by David Fury and Janine Renshaw. Despite the fact that we're only 10 episodes into Angel, this is Contner's third at-bat as director. He also gave us our two least favorite episodes so far, <laughs> Lonely Heart and Sense and Sensitivity. Although the badness of those episodes aren't really his fault. That falls on the writers. Um, and this is the first of 12 episodes of Angel that Fury will write or co-write throughout the run of the series and one of four that Renshaw will have her hand in during the first season, after which she moved on to other things, which include being a co-executive producer for Grey's Anatomy. So uh, so that's pretty good. Yeah, that's very good. It's not a bad resume there, no, Renshaw. not at all. <laughs> all right. So, Kelly, what you got for Moments of Perfect Happiness? Oh, honey, I think we have the same one. <laughs> oh, is it Wesley, Wesley, Wesley? Oh, my God, it's Wesley. It's Wesley, Wesley, Wesley. Oh, my God, Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I love Wesley so much. I love Wesley. And, yeah. and it's funny because I don't particularly like him on Buffy. Yes. But again, no, I didn't like him on Buffy. This show, I mm-hmm. love the character so much more. And the first time I watched this episode for, for our prep, um, mm-hmm. I was kind of procrastinating doing a big project at work I was working really late and so like I had to pause and write a silly poem about Wesley because Aww. I love him that much <laughs> I know he's so he's wonderful so wonderful I love him so much I love the you know he's all in leather and he looks so dangerous before we see yeah, his face <laughs> and then when we realize it's Wesley and he's like I'm a rogue demon hunter you know and it's just it is so adorable so and the thing is that Alexis Denisov the actor who plays Wesley is fantastic and even though I didn't care for Wesley as a character in uh, in Buffy mm-hmm. he was he was pretty terrible. He was cano- he was uh, canonically terrible. I mean, he was textually terrible. Yeah. He was supposed to be. And and Alexis Denisov was great at being that Wesley. He is also great at being this Wesley. And um and you may not see that much of a difference in the beginning, but you know, without too many spoilers, Wesley is the reason you watch Angel. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, Angel's awesome, Cordelia's awesome. Yes. Wesley is the reason I come back to this show over and over and Absolutely. over Absolutely. Of every character arc who has ever been arced in the history of story, this might be mm-hmm. one of the top. Best oh, leader. yeah. No, it's just, Amazing. it's absolutely one of the best. I would say that Spike over in Buffy yep. is is one of the best. I think Wesley over in Angel, yep. I think his story is even better executed than Spike. I think so, too. I, I really I do. I would, I would just, it's so good. if you look at like the trifecta of the things that light mm-hmm. up my heart the most in this universe, mm-hmm. you've got Dark Wesley, Spike, and Faith. Yes. Oh, and God. And I'm just like, yes. Holy, yes. No, they are all fantastic. And, and I could not help myself mm-hmm. because I am a shallow, shallow woman. Yes. But Wesley on a motorcycle mm-hmm. just made me say, mm. Oh, baby, that's your wheelhouse, man. Oh, God, I'm just saying. So anybody out there who wants to know how to win the fair Dr. Jones heart, (laughs) just show up on a motorcycle and there you go. If he had had a guitar strap to his back, and we're going to see this from another character who also speaks to my heart later. So I'm just saying, holy God, I love dark Wesley, Mm -hmm. but light or dark, there's always this certain gentleness about him. Yeah. And his face and his voice express so much emotion. And I love that about him, even when he's still in goofy mode. Yeah, I am not a fan of goofy Wesley. I'm we get either. a lot of goofy Wesley. And and it's going to be a while. It's going to be like, I think, season three before we really yeah. dump the goofy Wesley thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of that to get through. Um, but I love, God, I love his intelligence Yes. I love his dedication. I love his vulnerability. Um, I love everything. I love his humor. Yep. I love how great he is. Um, the only thing, like, I have to say, like, you know, why would Wesley hold Angel at crossbow point? Like, Angel was good the last time they saw each other, right? Well, but Wesley also knows Angel can turn. Has gone dark. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's not he's not taking any chances. He's but not I taking love- any chances, yeah. I love, first of all, that quiet tone when he says, hello, angel. Yes. I'm sorry, but it just makes me melt. And <laughs> I adore the fact that they are dressed exactly alike. I know. <laughs> it's so adorable. It and is. and then I love the contrast that we get there because like we, we just talked about a little while ago with Angel, mm-hmm. you see his emotion 
through his physicality. Yeah. You know, and so you have this incredibly physically strong man mm-hmm. who does have this depth of emotion. Yeah. And then with Wesley, you have this incredibly intelligent, brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God. Yeah. He is so smart. And and the mm, God, I'm just saying, he's fantastic. He but underneath that, you have mm-hmm this depth of emotion. And I, yeah. and I love the, the different expression of that in two mm-hmm. men who are incredibly powerful in their own way. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And I love he's, you know, he's got this vulnerability. He was fired from the Watchers Council. And of mm-hmm. course, he denies that at first, yeah. but it is so very clearly exactly what happened. Um, and then later on, he he admits it and he talks about it when he's in his his dark moment in this uh, in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just it's so wonderful. And I love like, I love Cordy. First of all, we have this thing where she's kissing everybody trying to pass on this, this horrible vision, right? You know, right. this horrible uh, gift that she has been given by the powers that be and by Doyle. Um, so she's just kissing everybody. And then Wesley comes in, and she kisses him. And it actually is pretty hot. The last uh, time they yeah. kissed over on Buffy, it was not good. Mm-hmm. And then when, when she's like, it didn't work. And he goes, I thought it went considerably better than last time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have I have more notes about the kissing thing later, but oh, yeah. it, it, this was funny because I had mm-hmm. forgotten that she kissed Wesley. Yeah, and I use Wesley and Cordelia as like my go-to metaphor for okay, these are two people who really thought they were attracted to each other, and you have all this buildup, and then mm-hmm. you kiss, and then you're like, oh. Okay, yeah. well, yeah, that's uh, not gonna let's work, just go right? get some coffee, right? <laughs> exactly. And so that's always my go-to metaphor. And then this mm-hmm. kiss screws it up because the kiss no, is hot. No, this kiss is hot. Like, this kiss is a nice. Damn good and kiss. Alexis Denisoff, I have to say, looks like a good kisser. He does indeed. <laughs> looks like I gotta say, looks kisser. pretty good from here. Um, yeah. I love this. I'm a rogue demon hunter. Yeah. She's like, what's a rogue demon? <laughs> Yeah, it is just so incredibly, incredibly cute. Um, But I also love that, you know, we're building a team here, right? You know, and building teams is about everyone having a role. Mm -hmm. You know, for all the writers out there, when you want to have a group of people together, one of the best things you can do is give everybody a role. And the five man band, which you can find um, anywhere, just do a search for the five man band in writing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's used all the time. It's, It's really malleable. It's very flexible. And we actually have a five man band here, but we just have more than one instrument per player like angel is both the hero and the big guy cordelia is the lancer who's like the best friend and also the emotional heart and wesley is the smart guy right and so you put all those roles together we have wesley coming in he's the smart guy he can figure stuff out he can translate language he can read ancient scrolls like he can do all that stuff so that gives him a role to fill and it fills it nicer than we had with doyle because doyle's role was something that really wasn't anything about any skill set he had. He used none of his skills. He just was there to basically be a vision vending machine, you know? Um, And uh, and so now here we have Wesley with all of this background, with all of uh, this capability, you know? Um, And it's really nice. He slides in there and he just works so beautiful. And I think one of my favorite moments from him, though, and God bless Alexis Denisoff for being able to play any kind of comedy. I don't love the goofy stuff, but he always does a great job with it. But when he's talking about getting chains, he's like, these pants, they tend to chafe one's legs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, always the gentleman. You he know? is. And, Which I really love. And even when, when we see him dark, that's still mm-hmm. there. 
Look yeah. at that. And I think yeah. that's part of what I meant by that gentleness that we see in him. It's just, mm-hmm. it's always yeah. part of who he is. I know. And I love this change of clothing, yes. right? He goes from leather to linen and linen, he's, he's Wesley. That's right. You know, he's not quite himself when he's in the leather, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, but in the linen, he becomes Wesley. And then that's when he moves into this whole second part of the story arc for him. He goes through that whole thing. I'm a fraud, you know, um, and, and he helps Angel figure out everything that's going on. He's, you know, he jumps in, he helps save Cordy. Um, but I love this moment when he's they're saving Cordy they're fighting and he says I'm gonna thrash you within an inch of your life and then I'm gonna take that oh, inch yeah. you know <laughs> that was oh, probably my, my favorite line god it was great. wonderful I loved it so much and I god I love how touched he looks when Angel says I had a rogue demon hunter yes. on my side yes his facial oh expression is priceless. It's wonderful. It's so wonderful. It's, so it's wonderful. So, Alexis Denisoff is so, so good. He's so good. And and I yeah. really liked that we don't just slide him in as a placeholder, right? So we yeah. really start the episode with Angel, like he's going back to the oracles and demanding that they bring Doyle back, right? He's like, mm-hmm. bring him back. And, and, and he's making these demands. Yeah. And the oracles are as unhelpful and unclear as always, but I do yes. like the exchange when Angel says of Doyle, he's my friend. And the oracle says, yeah. if that is so, then so shall it ever be. And, oh, and I, God. you know, I know, and I really liked that. Okay. We're not replacing him. Right. And we, and we get mm-hmm. Cordy, you know, in the beginning, she's looking for Doyle's special mug and Angel says, Doyle didn't have a special mug. And she says, don't you think he should have? You know, yeah. and her looking for something oh. tangible, you know, mm-hmm. to have of his. And and I really like how at the end she's she's kind of welcoming and accepting Wesley while at the same time she's framing the picture from her mm-hmm. vision to honor the world. Yeah. And so it didn't yeah. feel like the role of the third party is now played by Wesley. Like it it really exactly. felt like a changing of the team where we're still holding space and mourning for the person that we lost. Um, and right. they didn't replace each other's talents, which I also really liked because now the vision's right. 40 and now we have a researcher and translator and scholar on the team that we didn't have before. Yes. Exactly. And that's the thing is that Wesley comes in, but he doesn't replace Doyle's exactly. function. You know, Cordy absorbs Doyle's yep. function, you know, um, but and also Wesley is is very different. He's also, you know, he's uh, uh, Doyle was Irish and, you know, and uh Wesley mm-hmm. is English, so which is not the same thing, but <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's got that whole kind of kind of UK sort of feel mm-hmm. to it, you know, um, and uh, and so you know, and I, I like that we've got him. He's so incredibly different, and it's always such an important thing. Like when you try to replace a character who's left you know, with somebody who's exactly like that character, like, you know, with uh, Sam and Diane and right. Cheers, right? They, they replaced her with Rebecca, who could not have been more different. That's how right. you do it. And Wesley is so different from Doyle and his skill sets and everything he brings to the show, the energy of the show after, you know, Wesley signs on is so different, but it's just, it's so mm-hmm. wonderful. It's so good. And it works right yep, from it the does. moment. It really does. Yeah. And, yeah. and the other thing yeah. that I really loved on this episode was... Mm-hmm. Barney, like the bad guy, you know? He was good. I liked him. I like the idea of an empath Mm -hmm. demon, 
you know, um, I think that's really good. And we get this, this heel turn from him, you know, which is, which is another term I learned from, uh, from Unruh. So thank you, Unruh, uh, which is, you know, when somebody who he appeared to be good and then he turns and, uh, and goes bad. Um, and so I kind of like that. Like right. he was never good, right. but we thought right. he was, you know, um, and, uh, you know, I'm a demon. Sure. I'm evil, but I'm not, you know, right. evil. And they gave him great right. dialogue. He was really fun. The acting was great. Um, yep. it was, it was really good. And, and I really liked how um, he was a great actor and he, yeah, I liked when he was explaining to Cordy that he was an empath demon, that she set down her boundaries really fast. And she's like, yeah. stay out of mm-hmm. my feelings without asking. Um, yeah. And I really like that. Mm-hmm. And I liked that Barney showed us how you can use empathy for good and how you can use empathy for evil. Yep. You know, and oh, I, sure. I just I think mm-hmm. that that was, mm-hmm. I, I just think it was really well done. And he, he played a great role in the episode and it, it gave us some, you know, some turns that worked. It surprised me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fun to watch. Yeah. And, and I fully believed him in that role, you know, as this, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually yeah. secretly tracing, you know, down items to sell. And he thinks Wesley's after him, mm-hmm. but it's really something different. And like, I really, really right. liked it. Um I liked it. I thought that the the twist mm-hmm. that they did, the misleads that they did, you know, were yeah. actually really well done here. But the thing with Barney is that actually he's not, it's not empathy. Because empathy is when you feel right. what other people are feeling. I think there's something about reading yeah. other people and using and using right. that information, that like understanding of people. That's not empathy. That's different. No, yeah. It's different. But yeah. it was actually a great translation. Yeah. From the the demon with the horn, I can't remember what kind of demon yeah. it was. So um, who was reader. actually yeah, it's a yeah. heart reader. It's a heart reader. And I was reader. like, that that's is actually what it is. that's what it is. And right. so, but he didn't introduce himself that way. Mm-hmm. I think you know, calling himself. And later, we're going to see a real empath demon. Yes, mm-hmm. but he has the ability to read people, not to feel exactly. And it's kind of the difference between a sociopath and an empath both yes. have deep understanding of other mm-hmm. people's emotions. Right. One is going to use that to manipulate people and the other is going to use that to feel and to help. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a great job showing the difference. Yeah, no, I think that they did. It's really, really nice. Um, and I, I yeah. like Barney's humor at the beginning when he came in and he's got his little horn sticking out and everything. And <laughs> he tells angel angel, he's like right up front. I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm a demon. Right. And Angel just says, I appreciate the candor. Like, it was so funny to me. Yeah. It was so funny. That is very, very cute. Um, and, and then that kind of uh, gets us into to Cordy kissing everybody. Yes. And mm-hmm. there are things about this I love, and there are things about this I wanted to stake. Mm-hmm. So I understand her wanting to get rid of the vision. Yes. But mm-hmm. even if you are a beautiful, beautiful woman, you mm-hmm. don't kiss people without their consent. Very true. And you don't kiss them trying to pass along a supernatural <laughs> virus. Exactly. No, that's right. And here's the thing. Like, that's absolutely true. Um, all of that is true. This is <laughs> this is not good and from Cordy. But I think that, like, we're supposed to know that it's not okay. Like, what she's oh, doing yeah. is not, yeah, okay. not okay. So I think textually it's acknowledged as not okay. And so in that circumstance, yeah. But still, at the same time, it is it is real, yeah, serious consent issues going yeah. on there. And she is completely ignoring them all. But I, I did really, really love and appreciate Angel's response when mm-hmm. Cordy kissed her because yeah. he gently pushed her back. 
you know, I think you're misunderstanding your grief. I think you're misunderstanding. Like he went into kind of big brother protective mode. Yeah. And that is what he should have done. Yes. And I was very glad to see Angel meet my standard of expected behavior. Yes. No, absolutely. That was very good. And he was also like, instead of, you know, pushing her away and saying, no, no, you know, he was like, all right, let's talk about this. Right. Let's have a discussion about this. This is something that we obviously need to talk about. I think that you're misunderstanding your feelings, you know, and this whole thing, which I think is really, really great. Of course, it was fun to have Cordy turn around and be like, I didn't feel anything. I (laughs) I didn't feel anything. Did you feel anything? Exactly. I really like it. It was really cute. It was really cute. And I love if kissing is the only way to get rid of it. I will smooch every damn frog in this kingdom. That was pretty funny. And then she's like, maybe not every frog. Right. <laughs> that was cute. And yeah. um and it didn't I guess it didn't bother me quite so much when she kissed Wesley and then it turned into oh my god right. a kiss. Because they had kissed before. Yeah. So, but I, I think mean, that's still trying to I pass still, on devastating yes, visions to somebody not, deliberately. The consent issue is was okay? still a problem. The consent issue is still a problem. But yeah. Wesley's response was understandable. Oh, yeah, no, it was really nice. Yeah, I mean, plus it was really well done. Um, hello, Wesley. Hello, Wesley. <laughs> and I probably would have the same reaction. So I can't oh, really yeah. blame her. Um, <laughs> and I love the fact that Angel made a makeout joke. I know, right? <laughs> that was so great. That yes, was so great. Yeah. So I really enjoyed no. that. Um, it's very, very cute. Yeah. And Cordelia at the audition, at first I was kind of like, she was fine when she left. Uh-huh. I started crying over stain remover and I didn't like yeah. I know grief hits at unexpected times, but I didn't quite buy it. And it just felt like they were setting up the humor that then led into the vision one, which was actually yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, no, the visions were actually funny. The the humiliating um, audition, I think, is, you know, it was what it was. It wasn't great, yeah. but it was I, I kind of I kind of enjoyed it because of the way again, once again, the way the charisma carpenter. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Yes, she's like grass. Um, she. This is the thing. Like charisma carpenter commits. Yes. to everything. She does, and she is fantastic yes. with all of that stuff. She also looks like she would be one hell of a kisser. Oh yeah. No, I think yeah. both of them. But I, I think grass stains is going to be like my new. Right. I'm overwhelmed and I can't think. Grass stains. <laughs> I know. Grass stains. <laughs> I love that. Um, I love that, you know, we've got this whole I work alone thing, right? Yeah. You know, we've got Wesley, a lone wolf such as myself never works with anyone, you know? Yeah. And then Angel, <laughs> I had someone at my side. He's dead now. It's like this whole like manly I work alone thing. And then, of course, we mm-hmm. arc that into this final scene, this lovely scene where sometimes after a night of fighting unspeakable evil, we get eggs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love, I love it. it. I love it. And I love watching Angel cook mm-hmm. and take care of everyone. Yeah. You know, and he's already setting a plate for Wesley as Wesley's getting ready to leave. And mm-hmm. I just, I love that moment so much. And I love seeing um, Angel speaks many languages. Yes. You know, and, and we mm-hmm. see that in this episode. And Wesley can translate ancient and mystical and demonic languages. Yeah. And, but there was still some humor in that too. And yeah. when he's, trying to understand that demon and he says hit the cherry slam the cherry it's just <laughs> cracked 
me up. Oh God, I know. It was so, it was so great. And I love them working together. They work together really great. We end on mm-hmm. this, all of them as a family, which I thought was really wonderful. I just, yep. I really enjoyed so much of this episode. I, I did have too. a couple of things to stake. How about you? Okay. I only had a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them we, we already talked about, Courting trying to pass on the visions and kiss issues yeah. without consent, which mm-hmm. we just don't do that. Yeah. But this episode made me wonder about something. Mm-hmm. So we've seen a lot of demons. Mm-hmm. They're all coded as male. Yes. Where Most are the female them. demons? At home having babies. I guess they're you know <laughs> traditional. <laughs> Having baby demons. Um, I, I honestly don't know. We do see uh, some female demons as we move through, yeah. you know, the, the, the run of Angel. Uh, but we don't get them very much. Like, it generally, right. we default to male and we only tell female demon stories if there is a specific reason why that character needs to be female. Right. You know, um, and that's generally true over on Buffy as well. But yeah, mm-hmm. like most of the vampires are male. Yep. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of something that we're going to be dealing with as we move through because we only have female demons if there's a specific reason why they need to be female. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, for me, like the oracles, I never really enjoy the oracles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I talked about that last week but also you can't just go back and turn back time every day, Angel. Yeah. You can't do it. That's not how it works. You know, I think you get one yeah. and you, you got it. You used it up. Then we have this thing where he says, without his visions, I'm fighting blind. And I'm like, oh God, <laughs> no, somebody could have, somebody could have changed that. Like, we don't, we don't need that. That sounds like a, a you know, commercial dialogue. That's mm-hmm. not, that's not good. Um, you know, Hank, the, the creepy eye extractor guy oh, who was yeah. always clicking the tool, like, what you promised me I could extract the, I, I, you know, I didn't need that guy. He nope. was not funny. He was creepy. It was not fun. I didn't enjoy that. Um, you know, and then of course we got our, our first goofy Wesley, our first truly goofy Wesley trying to like fall over, trying to get the, the knife out of his ankle. He had taped it to it and he couldn't get it out of the tape. And, you know, I just, I hate goofy Wesley. Yeah. I, I mean, I like that he's resourceful. He grabs the horn and makes that work, you know, and I appreciate that. But um, but we we do this with Wesley. We're going to do this a lot, and I'm I'm never. I don't think I'm ever going to like it. Yeah, me too. It's it's not my favorite Wesley. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also Wesley's pity party when time was running out to find Cordelia. Yeah, you know, fraud. I'm of whatever. I'm like Wes. This is not the time. This is not, not the, the time. time. Yeah, I liked his I liked his vulnerability. But you're right. The timing on yeah. that is bad. And mm-hmm. like having a pair of Sears eyes seems like a hot commodity. So mm-hmm. it made no sense that. Barney started the biddings on Cordelia so low, mm-hmm. but I loved how she raised the price for herself. Right. Like Cordelia knows her own value. Yeah. I love that. that and I mean, great. part of it, yeah, part, a big part of it was that she was stalling, yeah. you know, to, yeah. for time. Um, but which I also thought was really smart and very yeah, capable. But great. also she was like, hey, hang hey, on a minute. These uh-huh. peepers, they're great. You That's know, right. um, yeah, but she's, it also doesn't make any sense to extract her eyes. Eyes mm-hmm. don't work without the brain. Right. Like it's just, it's just <laughs> but it's gonna... a mystical. It's a mystical power. Uh, like I don't know. No. You know. No, 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 yeah. no. The visions <laughs> are. She would see the visions if she had her eyes closed. Yes. It's like when you're mm-hmm. dreaming, right? That is yeah. not an optical thing. That is a neurological thing. And <laughs> so, like, I'm like, come on, y'all. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, it's not gonna work like that. It just no. 
So Right. If you know anything about mystical visions, <laughs> you should know this. <laughs> yes, right? right. These are the rules. Those are the, These rules. Are the rules. All right. I think that moves us nicely into research mode. What were your questions? I only have one. Yes. Okay. When Doyle kissed Cordelia, his visions transferred to her. Uh-huh. Did he do that on purpose? Did he know that was going to happen or did the powers that be do that for him? Because we don't yeah. know for sure if that was his intention or if he even knew it would happen. Yeah, I don't imagine that he did because he just got his visions like nobody kissed him first, right. you know, so I mean, he just got his visions and there's no sense that that it is transferred through a kiss because obviously she's smooching everybody trying to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. So I think that textually we have a lot of evidence that the powers that be saw what was going down right. and, and transferred it to Cordelia. Right. So, but, but it's presented yeah. as Will giving them to her. It is. And I don't actually think that's what's happened. I don't think so either, but it, it, it is something you can read either way though. Yeah. You know, because we don't really have a, a canonical, you know, um, answer to that question, which is true right. with a lot of things in Angel. Yes. <laughs> um, I liked the Mysterex. I thought the Mysterex mm -hmm. here with, you know, Barney being a good guy, but he's really a bad guy. Um, I thought they worked really well. And the reason why they work is because we always play fair with the audience. When you go back and watch it through, knowing the full story, it still works. Nothing's inconsistent. Nobody lied to us. You know, we just mm -hmm. ran on the presumption that Barney was vulnerable when when he came to Angel, so he seemed like a good guy. Also, that he claimed empathy, even though that's not what he is. He's not empathy. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, the the only thing that I had a question about, and this may just be something that like it has a very clear and obvious answer. A lot of times, I'm like, well, why did that happen? And then it's clear, but I just didn't see it. Uh, why did Barney come to Angel in the first place? Like he didn't know about Cordy being a seer. That was a you know lucky circumstance for him. So it wasn't like he was after Cordy. Um, um, and if Barney is actually the one hunting demons, because the, the one that they were scared of was the one that had his horn taken off, who actually seemed like a fairly decent guy. He was very helpful, you know, giving uh, Wesley the information there at the end, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if Barney is actually the one hunting demons and selling off parts, he's a fairly tough guy. He can kind of take care of himself. Why does he need Angel's protection? I mean, Wesley, he thinks is after him. Oh, but, no, I didn't read it like that at all. Okay, so what is so, it? So when we see Barney's turn, he's on his, his cell phone, right? He mm -hmm. calls his partner or whatever. Mm -hmm. He's like, of course I got the horn. And then there's like a pause and he's like, yeah, but I think I found something better. So, oh, so I read that the... as he was after Angel. Okay, that makes sense then. Yeah. Okay, so like, that's all I needed. He, mm -hmm. he already had the horn. Like, that wasn't a problem. Right. But he got there to, to get Angel to believe he was protecting him mm -hmm. because Angel would have been a great thing at that auction. Mm -hmm. But if you right. weigh w risk and reward, right, mm -hmm. now you've got this vampire who would sell for a lot because he's got a soul. And that's mm -hmm. that whole magical properties thing. But he's really hard to take down. Right. Compared to a seer who's a young woman who I can punch and carry to the auction, Right, mm -hmm. I'm going to go with the seer. So yeah. I, that's how I read it. Okay. No, I, I get it. Wrong. But it's just that that's that one line, you know, and I missed <laughs> it. But yeah. Okay. Now that makes sense. That makes total sense. All right. So I'll take that out of my questions. You answered my question. Thank you very much. And there's this moment where he says, you know, how old are you? 20 something. And so we 
plant here that she is in her 20s, even though she's canonically 18 and just graduated high school. Correct. So again, I am arguing for my time warp that happens on the road from Sunnydale to Los Angeles. I like the time warp. So there's just, she just, something happened. There's something that just aged her four or five years. So we're going with that. Um, And then we have this moment, right? Uh, Where the oracles are talking about, um, about Doyle. To what end? To nullify his noble death? To leave his atonement unfulfilled? So that's what he was atoning for. The death of the Bracken demons that wasn't his fault, you know? And uh, what the hell was he supposed to do? And the oracles are aware of this atonement. I don't. I just don't think that that's Doyle's fault. Doyle is in no way, you know, capable of taking on the scourge. Had he tried to help these people, I mean, maybe he could have done something, but he didn't know. Right. Like, that's just, that was way too much to put on him. Yeah, and they didn't send him the vision until after everyone was dead. Like, it just, it it didn't work. That part did not work. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't think so either. So, so that was the thing where I was like, "All right, all right." You know, Doyle doesn't have that much to atone for. You right. know, I mean, right. I agree. So, but yeah. even with that, it was still a great episode and definitely a watcher. So, for mm-hmm. our one to brood on, we know now that Cordy has the visions, and mm-hmm. we have Wesley. Yes. So, super. And that's why important. we need it. <laughs> but also, also, parting gifts is a legit good episode. Yeah, I really think it's was. well worth the watch. It really was. Yeah. It was great. So what was yeah. your favorite part? Oh, God, Wesley. Just everything Wesley. <laughs> Just every every time Wesley was on the screen, I was delighted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can't even pick out yep. one particular moment. Um, although I do think I'm, I'm going to take that inch is probably one of my favorites. So. <laughs> yeah, that was great. So what about you? Oh, Angel cooking breakfast. Oh, I know. Um, I, 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 love, I love that side of Angel, mm-hmm. um, especially when he's already standing there cooking enough for yeah. Wesley. Yeah. While Wesley's leaving. And then he's like, breakfast? And Wesley just comes right over to the I table. Know. And I just I just love that. Yeah. I love it. It's so nice. Yeah, so this great. is it's a really, really good episode. And I'm so glad to have Wesley with us. Me too. Yeah. All right. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag still dead. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of $1 a month or more and gain access to the live chat and discord where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and all of the Chipperish patrons who are some of the smartest people around. They really, really are. This episode of Still Dead was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer Alice Sherman. Alice supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to produce whatever show she wants. Thank you, Alice, and thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and makes all of this possible. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you, too, can become a Still Dead producer. And if you would also like to show your love by giving us a review at Apple Podcasts, that is a great way to get growth for the show and more people to talk about Angel with, which I think is always a good thing. Absolutely. We'll be back in two weeks with episodes 11 and 12 of Angel Season 1, Sonambulist and Expecting, both of which are skippers so y'all get two weeks to not watch them. Yes, it's like a summer vacation, so enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> All right, until then, we're going to thrash you within an inch of your life, and then we're going to take that inch. <laughs> <laughs>